0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Remember the phrase, there's an app for that. Apple used it in an iPhone commercial back in 2010, and suddenly everyone was saying it. Well, now we seem to be in the, there's an AI for that era. Artificial intelligence can be used to write resumes, detect banking fraud, teach kids math, even heal the environment. There's an interesting example in Peoria, in a wetland. Scientists are using semi-autonomous watercrafts and AI to map and manage invasive fish that are harming the habitat. So how does it work? Here to explain is Reset Sustainability contributor, Karen Weigert. Hey, Karen. Hey, Sasha. Welcome back. Good to see you. Also with us is Randy Smith, the River Project Director for the Nature Conservancy, Illinois. Hey, Randy.
1: Hey, great to be here.
0: And Josie Ridgway is a fish biologist with the U.S. Geological Survey. Welcome, Josie.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: What piqued your interest in this story, Karen? I'll start with you. I have to admit, it's the phrase you used, semi-autonomous
3: watercraft. Yes. Who says that? I'm like, what? Exactly. I thought, what in the world is that? Um, when you're talking about climate and sustainability, that doesn't roll off the tongue. But underneath it was this incredibly interesting story that linked something that lots of us have seen around the Chicago River, a kayak, all the way through to AI and in service of biodiversity and the natural environment. Uh, so you put it all together and it's a couple things I wouldn't expect in the same story, but it shows us the next
0: waves of innovation and collaboration that are possible. And the fact that uh, we're saying technology can be used to benefit nature, why is that important? We
3: have technology now in every, every inch of our world. And sometimes we talk about nature like it's this thing over there. And we're living over here with our technology, with our our devices and the the new information. Uh, But it's that integration. I mean, the core of nature is really to think about ecosystems. And so this is a part of our world. And the idea that we could use it and deploy it in ways that help us in some ways restore some of the things that humans have done in nature. But also to think collaboratively about what does a thriving future look like? How can we get the benefits of scale that technology offers or speed that technology offers or just new ways of doing things? Um, why should humans get all the fun? We
0: should think, <laughs> a way to think of ways to put this into the nature situation, too. Let's bring you in here, Randy, to to get more information about how many invasive fish there are at Emmaquan and to be able to map where they are so that you can remove them. You've launched a very cool project, which is really the reason we're here. right? It uses a, a semi-autonomous watercraft. It's outfitted with g p s and sonar, and the the watercraft they're remotely controlled so you you set them on a path and then they just kind of get to work so so talk us through this. I mean, what's the mood like when you launch these things
1: it, it, yeah so so this is kind of josie's uh part of the project uh he's kind of the expert on the on the the watercraft, so I'm gonna let him chat about that real quick,
0: sure.
2: Sure. So uh is a very large uh, backwater habitat that we're dealing with, with a very large population of invasive carp. Um, so we developed these semi-autonomous watercraft, which is just a fancy uh, term for uh, GPS-enabled kayaks. And so we're using off-the-shelf technology from um, any sporting goods store that you could get kayaks and, and trolling motors. And so we're deploying. What we do is we deploy four of these um, all at once into the nature preserve,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and and then they take uh, maybe five, four or five hours to complete their survey and come back to us.
0: Wow. What were some of the challenges of the first launch? Like when you tried this at night, Josie? I understand that one of the boats got stuck. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's that's right. So uh, we were using some some satellite imagery to take a look at Emmaquan and come up with our our coordinate system for. What, what track these these kayaks are going to follow. And so one of our kayaks unfortunately did not return to us and we had oh, no looking for it and um actually now we have uh GPS tracking collars on on our on our kayaks so that we can uh we can keep a, a track of where these these kayaks are at mm-hmm. all times.
0: Yeah, for sure trial and error, right? Yeah. Uh Randy, before we we go any deeper, I want you to just take us to Emma Preserve for for folks who haven't been there. What does it look like?
1: Yeah, so um, it's the it's the the floodplain of the Illinois River. So so folks in Chicago are familiar with the river flowing out of Chicago. You know that's going to flow west for a long ways, and then it turns and heads south to the confluence with the the Miss uh, with the Mississippi near St. Louis. Uh, so we're we're this big backwater floodplain. Um, we're over six thousand acres. Uh, we're a combination of lakes and wetland habitats. Um, in a, in a big river bottom with with prairies and woodlands, and then a kind of a mostly wooded bluff. So this was the largest uh, contiguous farm in Illinois until the Nature Conservancy bought it and restored it. Uh, and to kind of give you an idea of that size, um, so and to also show my uh, my ignorance of Chicago geography, uh, just looking on the map really quick, about about a similar size would be from. Uh, from, what did I say, from North uh, North Avenue Beach, west to Interstate 90, and then south all the way down to 31st Street Beach would be about the same size as, as Emoquan Preserve. So we're a really big place.
0: Yeah, that's pretty big. So what effect then are invasive fish species having on uh, submerged aquatic plants at Emoquan? And by extension, the yeah. migratory birds?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so we we have a lot of these different habitat types, wetland habitat types uh, that all of these variety of species rely upon whether it's whether it's larval fish or migratory birds. And some of these really important habitat types we've seen decline over the past couple of years, and we're trying to wrap our heads around what is, is causing that. And we think a big cause is these invasive carp that have become rather abundant in Emmaquon, uh and are kind of driving system change and leading to a decline of this habitat type and, and then a decline of these other important species
0: mm-hmm.
1: at our site. Uh,
0: and Josie, I understand that these plants are really um, they are really important for fish reproduction because fish eggs— or larval fish take shelter there, right? So how are invasive fish making it more difficult for native fish to actually reproduce?
2: Yeah, so when we're talking about invasive carp, we're talking about four different species. Uh, silver carp and bighead carp, they're the ones that are eating all the, the small organisms in the lake, and so we're talking about plankton, which all the native uh, young fish rely on for survival. So that's being taken out. And then the grass carp are eating away the habitat, the, the um, aquatic submerged vegetation. And then there's also common carp in there that are rooting up the, the vegetation and stirring up the water and and making it really muddy and poor quality.
0: So we understand. Why is it so important that that native fish populations are able to grow, Josie? How does it make the habitat more healthy?
2: Um, so the, the native fish, uh, we need those for uh For biodiversity and is having a healthy ecosystem. Uh, Whenever the ecosystem is degraded by invasive carp, um, it not only impacts the fish but it it impacts everything in the the preserve all the way up to the waterfowl.
0: And and Karen, we talk a lot about carp. Uh, We've talked a lot about it on the show. Uh, We also talk a lot about invasive species in general, right? But just put everything into context for us if you will. I mean why do we use that framing and what kinds of effects are we seeing invasive species have on biodiversity?
3: Yeah, we use the framing just to give us an understanding of what a thriving ecosystem might look like. And most ecosystems around us have been altered by humans in some way. But if you take the really big picture view, there's a study that just came out this fall that said about 60% of all species lost globally is impacted by invasive species.
0: 60%? Yeah, Mm. now
3: that it's the only factor in, I think they said 16%, it's the main factor. But in 60%, so in the majority, invasive species are part of what's causing extinctions. And that raises into question the long-term health of all ecosystems. So at a global level, it's a massive challenge. And then when you get locally, you think locally, it's which species in which places. Mm -hmm. And so that's what gets so interesting and important here is to understand who is here and how is that impacting the food that might be available at the beginning of the food chain, which then impacts the next creature that eats that creature, the next creature. And so you go all the way up the food chain when you disrupt one level, you're disrupting that whole system. And so that's why we look at invasive that are plants, uh, invasives that are fish, invasives that are mussels and vertebrates and invertebrates. So Mm, all of them are in there, but it comes down to that healthy thriving ecosystem and what's causing disruption. And then trying to look at, well, what might create that healthy system going forward?
0: So the AI piece of this, Randy, I want you to help us understand that some more because, of course, this is really a data gathering mission, right? So talk more about how AI is being used here to interpret this data.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, so, again, Josie's going to have a little better understanding of this. That's that, that stuff that's, that's on the watercraft, and, and that's, that's his part of, of this. That's his uh, um, specialty,
2: Josie, can you fill yeah, I, us in? I can help out. Yeah, sure. So uh, what we're doing is we're, we're collecting a, a whole bunch of data using uh, side-scan sonar. And this is the same technology that's on you know, a bass boat where somebody might be out there fishing. Um, so we're collecting a bunch of, of images of fish, and um, we need to take that back to the lab and, and post-process that data. And um, it would take months for a human to count um, all of the fish and images that we're collecting so we're developing machine learning models which is a subset of artificial intelligence mm-hmm. so that we can rapidly count fish within mm-hmm. those images and not, not only count those fish but also get the size of those fish as well so that we can speciate to invasive carp which are in imaquon's in case uh, most of the larger fish are invasive carp and so that we can easily identify invasive carp from uh, what might be a, a bass or, or another uh, smaller native
0: fish. Mm-hmm. So we're saving time here too, right, Karen? I mean, something that could have taken months is now taking, you know, so much shorter time for you. I mean, what do you make of all this? Yeah, it absolutely accelerates the ability to make decisions. And it also creates pathways that can be
3: scaled at other locations. So this idea of machine learning and training training the system so that there's a quick identification and a count. You know, how many fish of what kind? And then you can make a decision, well, what do we do? Uh, but this idea of, of merging a kayak with some GPS that uh, someone who likes to fish probably has with then an overall system that gets the sophistication of machine learning really creates, in a sense replication of opportunities what we're learning here is something that can be learned elsewhere but it then gets as we said it's the speed of decision so what do you do something that might be mysterious is now known and that lets people take directed interventions when we think about that big picture is Mm -hmm. how do we have thriving communities for all of us
0: yeah and the goal here right is we've said is to be able to know where the fish live and to be able to guide them into particular areas is that right Josie
2: yeah, that's that's one more thing I wanted to talk about is also the behavior of the fish. And so uh, these are pelagic these are pelagic fish, meaning that they're in open water and that they move great distances. And so they're very responsive to herding stimuli that we've been developing, which is another uh, part of this research. Uh, we're using sound, underwater sound, and electricity, uh, where we're driving these fish from one location to a central location uh, towards the bank. And they're more easily uh, can be removed using things like beach sayings and, and trap nets and even large corral nets where we're talking about mm-hmm. um, hundreds of, of yards of net that we can wrap around hundreds of thousands of pounds of fish at once.
0: Yeah, so so once you know where the fish are, you're hoping to be able to remove them in, in large quantities. I mean, what happens to them after that?
2: What happens to the them after that um, is a decision up to the, the Nature Conservancy or, or the, the, the commercial fishermen or, or partners that we're working with that are doing the removal. Uh, at U.S. Geological Survey, what we do is, is the science. So we're trying to figure out what the most efficient uh, method of, of doing the activity is. And then uh, the agency that, that's responsible for the, the lake can do the removal or, or contract that out and then um make those decisions to do with the fish. Um sometimes those fish will go to um for fertilizer mm-hmm. and, and farming. Or uh, bait, right? They'll they'll also be for bait and, and ocean uh fishery systems as well.
0: Yeah. Does the sonar hurt them?
2: No the sonar doesn't Um it's th- it's just a, a ping of sound that that is is being sent out from the watercraft and it bounces off the fish as an echo return. And from that signal strength of that, the the noise that comes back, we know how far away that fish is and the size of the fish uh, as well.
0: And Randy, can you talk about the fact that, you know, once they're removed, uh, the effect that this will have on the habitats?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's a little bit of an unknown. Um, so, So we know the fish don't belong here. We know they don't belong in the wetland. We know since they've been in the wetland, we've seen changes. But we don't know exactly what will happen when they're removed. So we're we're all about uh, making science driven decisions at the Nature Conservancy and, and specific here at Emoquan. Um, so understanding the effects of this uh, is, is a big deal to us so that we can make those recommendations uh, to other managers in other places as well. We think that there will be a strong positive response uh, in terms of habitat quality and, and native, spe- uh, native species, um, you know, numbers, abundance and, and things like that bouncing back. Um, But we don't we don't know for sure. Uh, So understanding how these things all work together is, is really important.
3: It's one of the things that's so fascinating about this is it's happening in real time. And so the speed of learning actually impacts the speed of scale. So understanding what does happen when you remove a creature that's been in there that wasn't before, how quickly do other species respond, and how quickly will some of the plants respond that then feed the migratory birds that mm-hmm. are flying into this floodplain? Those are the things that we get to learn because we're speeding up this first part, which is being able to identify, count, and then think about the pathways for the invasive fish.
0: Right. I mean, and and Randy said, you know, it's a, this is a bit of an unknown, yeah. right? So it's an experiment of sorts. What happens if this doesn't work, Randy?
1: uh keep trying (laughs)
0: try and try Uh, again
1: that that's right i mean it's adaptive management right uh so you you try something you see what the response is and and then you try something else if it's the right response uh then we know then we have our answer and we keep going and and go on to next steps if it's not the right response we look for for other solutions and and try to uh figure out what the the exact factors are that are driving the system changes and and the good things and the bad things
0: And AI is used in in other capacities. Uh, Josie, can you describe how it can be used to help guide salmon over dams and to divert invasive species from doing the same?
2: Yeah, that's another project that's going on in the Imequon that uh, Randy's involved in. Uh, I don't have specifically involvement in that project, so I'll go ahead and let Randy um, take that answer.
1: Sure. So we're working with some partners uh, associated with uh, the University of Illinois and Illinois Natural History Survey, uh, fisheries researchers, uh, as well as a a company out of Seattle, Washington, Woosh Innovations, uh, on another project that um, attracts and then identifies and then can move fish. Uh, So they they use this technology uh, to help them move migratory fish over barriers, so so like migratory salmon over, over things like dams in the Pacific Northwest um and and trying to test that system here in the Midwest um for proof of concept and to see if it can it can help fight against Asian carp if uh uh they can attract through this system and and weed the the ones that we don't want in the mm-hmm. system out so the the carps um and let the good fish pass through um so so that's ongoing at emqua as well uh with a, a large system set up uh, adjacent to Emmaqua in the Illinois River um and and hopefully results from that will be really useful and applicable as well
0: and before i let you all go tell us what's next for the semi-autonomous watercraft project
2: so what's next is this is uh the early phases of of this project and so um right now we're just doing some pilot testing Uh, moving forward into the winter and the, the the seasons that follow we're gonna be doing seasonal um surveys to get fish counts for throughout those seasons. And then hopefully in uh, 2025, uh, we will do some some removal activities and start driving fish around and, and getting fish out of the system.
0: That's Josie Ridgway, a fish biologist with the U.S. Geological Survey. Randy Smith, the River Project Director for the Nature Conservancy Illinois, and Karen Weigert, Resets Sustainability Contributor. Thank you all so much.